The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the host guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any of BXR entities and those they represent. Unmute. I mean, talking for 10 minutes. He will say unmute 10 minutes later. Uh, we, we, Friday. we do this every Friday. We do. We do. Uh, welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show with me, your host, Nate. Uh, we have a special uh, person today. Oh, ooh, you were trying. Wait a minute, a special. You had to pause for a minute. It is Baltimore's favorite gay auntie, Miss Blue Waters, coming to you live and direct. And um, I'm here with um, my, uh, what is it, uh, my drug dealer nephew. Mm. I can't take some black people nowhere. I am living for this look. You got the shades on and the. Mm. When I don't have my glasses, I was rushing out this morning, mm-hmm. uh, and such. And when I don't have my eyeglasses on, mm-hmm. I have to put shades on because my eyes be so sensitive. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm here. Have- you must got an admirer that's following us because you came done. You came giving us a uh, big daddy, big daddy cane. Now out of control. Now I just want to know, does big daddy have a cane? Or <laughs> you would know. You would know. I, I would not know. You would know. I would not. You look like the type that would know. I look like but, I um, look like. Mm-hmm. But we have, um, today, um, I wanted to do something different because Blue is with us and he may be with us, you know, for an extended period of time. Um, There was a project that um, Blue was supposed to be working on with me, but he didn't have the time um, to be um, available because he's, you know, a performer and all, and he'd be out on these streets um, doing his due diligence. Uh, <laughs> you tried so, it. So there was a project that I I was working on, 
Um, and we're not going to talk about it because I don't want to um, jinx it because I'm in a new space. Literally, I'm in a new space. Um, I'll be talking more about this space next week once everything is up and running. Um, next week, we'll have on a couple um, of the models um, and maybe Sharon Nixon of Baltimore Fashion Week because that Saturday um, mm -hmm. is the first day of Baltimore Fashion Week and it's opening up. Well, Alice in Wonderland themed uh, award ceremony for six um, deserving individuals, the Impact Awards, which I am the recipient of, of one. Um, yes, congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it happened years ago, you wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we're doing it this year. Um, it'll be at Baltimore Fashion Week will be mostly at center stage we have that tuesday i believe the 16th will be at be more scrap doing a live interview with the owner of be more scrap miss nancy and then i believe thursday will be at uh, a restaurant uh, but um saturday it opens up with uh the gala the impact awards um and i'll be there should come it's all going to a great cause um and what else? Yeah, so we'll have that next Friday, but I, I'm not finished with the space yet, um, but I've been working. That's why I said earlier before we went on, it does not feel like Friday because I feel like I've been moving for a whole week um, and I'm tired. Um, I think I hurt my Achilles heel. Mm. Even though I had two strong, able-bodied men moving my furniture today, Mm. Um, well, one man and one young man. I'm not going to give him the man charge just yet. But um, yeah, it's been a cool week. How's your week been? My yeah. week has been extremely, extremely busy and hot. Yes. Extremely <laughs> busy and hot. I don't think I can get any darker. Um, almost invisible. Um, mm. I, yeah, I, I definitely felt like I crossed over a few times this week because it was too hot for me. I just can't take this heat. Now, when I was younger, I could take the summer. Summer was my favorite because I could, we could get out of school. We could stay out all night long. We could do what we want to do. But now I, I'm longing for fall. I'm longing for winter. I'll mm -hmm. leave my three favorite seasons, fall, spring, winter. I'm not a heat-driven person. I can't do it. Um, I think I'm reversing. I'm getting lighter because I'm avoiding the sun by all means. And I try to get out just so I can get my vitamin D. But um, well, I do I not have any shortage of vitamin D. I have, <laughs> I've got my full fill of vitamin D. Holler at your auntie. <laughs> Anyway, I just, I'm not the heat type of person, especially when it's just heat. It's no breeze, it's no like variations, it's just heat. Yesterday, and, and it'd be like, you'd be sitting still. And even if you come into a cool environment, it takes your body a minute to cool off. And I don't have any hair, so it's like, I have to either wear hats or I've been wearing like a do-rag just so my head can, it can catch the sweat from my head. I, I do not do heat. Anybody who knows me knows I like to sit in the shade. I prefer AC. Um, 
Yeah, that's who I am. I'm a fall spring person myself. Um, yes, I, but I yes, can't I do it. Can't do it at all. Don't want to do it. I don't want to do anything in the sun. When they want to go into the park and do um, cookouts and things of that nature, I am the person that's going to stay. I'm going to show up. But chances are, I'm showing up when the sun goes down. The party is almost over. The food is all gone. I'm, you don't even have to worry about setting me a plate to the side. I'm going already eating something before I got there. Because guess what? I don't want any of the bugs on me. I don't even like to wear shorts. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like bugs. I don't like spiders. None of those things. See, I love when, so I love when you, because I, I typically, because I'm a spring baby, I, I feel most comfortable. So I start cheating and wearing my shorts. And my toes out earlier than normal than you should. So I enjoy wearing all of that. I don't have to wear anything, to be honest with you. Um, now, in the spring and the fall, I'm okay with that. In the spring and the fall, I mm -hmm. can I, I can wear shorts. I can get damn near naked in the spring and the fall. But summer, no. Oh, no. Mm -mm. I can't do this. I can't do this heat. I'm going to stay right in the house under my AC. And with all that's going on out there in the world now, the best place is in a lovely house. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely, it's definitely um, that type of weather where you don't want to do anything. I got off work yesterday and I wasn't, I didn't have anything to move yesterday. So I moved it today. Um, but I went in the house and it probably was like two something and the outside did not see me till eight o'clock this morning. Like it just, and when I come home, especially when it's hot outside, mm -hmm. you can tell I'm home because my clothes are all by the front door and I go straight to the restroom, my bathroom, turn on the shower and cool my body off with a nice long shower and i get in that bed and that ac bge just go ahead to bless my soul because this school that ac will be on all day all day i have my heat i have my ac on and i have my ceiling fans on and mm -hmm. i have a floor fan on mm -hmm. i need it to be damn near arctic cold for me um i Yes. I just need it to be cool. I need to hit my skin. And another thing is, is because in the summertime, I don't, first of all, I have, um, I'm allergic to clothing. So I don't like clothes yeah. in any season. So whenever I come home, um, I think, and I don't know, I think with adulthood and childhood, that was a different story. But as, as an adult, when you come home, you just peel out of everything and just mm -hmm. running around your own house with no one there. Uh, oh, that's heaven for me. Um, so <laughs> I need to peel. In, in the summertime, it feels like you got to peel off your skin because uh, without good AC, shit. It's, it's just not, it's, it's not, it's uncalled for. Like, it's just, it's hot for no reason. I could not do what we did when we were growing up. If I had one of those um dollar what is it dollar general fans the ones that you would put in the window oh that would drive me fucking crazy i can't have, oh no Woo! i need some air <laughs> see i see i do i have one of those in my bathroom because i don't want the air on in my bathroom because it just your body temperature drops when you get into 
and I like really hot baths or a hot shower. So you gotta, you know, you gotta regulate your temperature a little bit more. And then I don't want to like it be hot or cold when I get out the shower, and then I go right in, into the AC in my room. Like I don't, so I keep it like cool in my bathroom. But in my bedroom, last summer I had to get um. I had to get uh my my doctor was nervous because I had I would go normally on my normally when I have a doctor's appointment I don't schedule anything else for that day and I like to go early in the morning and I'll go and two times I went my temperature was so low because <laughs> she thought I was anemic because my ceiling my 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 AC unit is here my bed is here and I just like I like it, if I can't roll up into my sheets cold, uh, it ain't cold enough. That's and uh, so for me, um, the shower I do not like hot hot showers. It has to be warm. I mean, enough of a stink. And then at the end, I'm actually, burn that dirt off. Oh no, um, I, I'm a loofah and I'm a scrub, and I'm not going to burn anything off. Again, I told you I'm allergic to anything that reminds me of what it may be like in hell. So I don't want any any of that. And I grew up in a house full of women, and I that's all they do is hot baths that's boiling hot, and I just got used to it. I mean, get yeah, I trust me, I get it, but at the end of my shower, I always have to run cool water. I always rinse off mm -hmm. in cold water. But which is why my black ass is always ashy, because <laughs> I need to I need to use that Crisco on my skin because I will definitely <laughs> Put on some cold water at the end to rinse off. It's just I like the feeling of being refreshed. I love that feeling. And so I and, had to take a cold shower one day, and when I say I can't do it, mm, mm -mm, I need it to be boiling hot. You know, it's so hot where everything's steaming up in the window. Mm -mm. Especially for me when it's in the morning, and at the time that I have to get up in the morning. Mm. It has That's to be a. Time. It has to be a cold, cold shower because mm -hmm. I will. I, I know. What type of uh -uh. nigga are you? What? Where? You must be from the Ivory Coast because I'm not from. <laughs> I'm from there. Mm -hmm. I'm, look, I'm where the good melanin is at. Good. Melanin. I like. I like. And first of all, I love taking a bath in the morning. I, it's my. It's my like go-to, like, relax, so when I want to have a great day, and I know it's going to be mm -hmm. stressful, I love to take a bath in the morning, and I like my water so hot, you have to put your toe in first, and you have to slowly sit down, and you feel, it feel like it's burning the dirt off of you. Oh, Man, no. Like, I love. Oh, it's horrible. No. Now, I'm not suggesting that for anybody, because it's horrible on your skin, but I stay with shea butter, um, and I sometimes mix um, a little Vaseline in it just to rehydrate my skin once I get out. But I I love when you got to like tiptoe and then you got to hold the sides of the tub and like sit down really slow and hold yourself and like submerge. <laughs> I, I, I do not I, love it. I do I'm not sorry. want the tub. And so and another this is a, this is crazy. If I'm going to take a shower, if I'm going to take a bath, I'm going to take a shower first mm -hmm. because I like to, I don't I, I I want to be clean when I'm soaking because I only use the bathroom when I'm trying to do my waiting to exhale moment when you had the candles around the um 
the tub and you got to you turn the lights down and you have your little wine or champagne on the side mm. for me it may be um some long island iced tea but <laughs> and you have your good um 90s r&b on face evans mary j blige you know banji music banji and for me that's how uh, it can't be anything where I'm gonna put my ass in it and then I'm gonna scream, I'm gonna scream and jump back out. That's happened to me no, several it times. Feels, it just feels like I don't know why I love it so much, but I just love sitting in a hot bath and then I only take my shower afterwards because uh, I I just ugh, just to rinse everything off. See, I, I like to, I don't wanna, I wanna, and especially when for me in a bath, because I like to have my oils and like, you know, I like to smell like Mother Earth when I come out of that bath. Mm -hmm. See, I, I want, I, when I get in the bed with my significant other or um, our alone, significant other, excuse me, I said our. Is that going? It's, it's a one. Monty, check it. Something is wrong with this connection. I could have sworn he said our, and I, I know that is not. <laughs> that is not the case. We was gonna reveal it on the show. He was gonna come oh, downstairs. Gonna... But see, you just uh, ruined it. Y'all was gonna have what a gender reveal? <laughs> oh, okay. Because I swear. Well, if that's the case. Let me let you know something. He enjoys when I'm smelling like um, Mother Earth next to him. So if you're going to, if, if he told you're going me to be the me you, you be trying to smell like Eon LeVanzette. <laughs> he told me that, but he don't really, that's not him. <laughs> I don't want to smell like Eon LeVanzette. I want to smell like Iman, mm -mm. African goddess. That's what, that's where he's, and that's what he calls me, actually. Oh, oh his, wow. Called his African goddess. Mm, okay. That's that's cute. That's cute. It is. But um, it anyway, is. today's topic is... Why, Jesus, I say that. Do I detect a little gel in your pudding? <laughs> I said that to somebody, and they went off. They was like, who the fuck are you talking to? But um, today's topic is how I learned to tie a tie. Mm. Um, and Unfortunately, a few times throughout my adult life, mm -hmm. a certain scenario has come up. I'll be in the restroom and somebody else come in the restroom and I can see they having trouble tying their tie. This young man was, um, I believe he was, um, he was applying for school. He was coming for his interview and I was in the restroom and he was really, I can tell he was, he was, you know, I'm not good at interviews. I'm always rushing, always hot, always overheated. But um, I could see he was a little frustrated. And him not being able to get his tie was making it worse for him. And I asked him, I said, do you know how to tie your tie? And he didn't. And this scenario has come up uh, several times throughout my adult life where I've met younger guys and some a couple older guys that did not know how to tie their tie. And it's for me, I don't know why that represents um, like a rite of passage for me and not an official one, but like one of the steps. I just mm -hmm. always thought that that was, that was something that was supposed to be done. I remember watching it on the Cosby show 
and wanting to like when he was helping Theo learn how to tie his bow tie. And I was like, oh, I wanna, I wanna learn how to tie a bow tie. And I, you know, I didn't grow up with my dad. My dad died when I was really young. And I didn't really, you know, women didn't, you know, the women in my family, they ain't they boys that wore ties and shit, unless they was going to court and shit. <laughs> but they ain't had no ties. They they typically <laughs> did. They typically didn't have ties on when they went to court. They had their jumpsuits on um, when mm. they in their shackles, so they didn't really need mm. the tie. Uh, <laughs> mm. But I remember um, <laughs> their tie. If you bought a nice tie, they used to come with these little cards that gave you like step by step how to tie a tie, and that's really how I learned how to tie a tie. Um, because I would have been in clip-on ties for the rest of my life had I not self-taught myself and I always felt like cheated out the experience because I you know I always saw other people showing their sons how to tie a tie and it is it's not anything that I feel like I missed out on something so monumental but it was a small thing and I I see the the frustration in other guys face when they don't know how to do it or they don't you know, typically know how to do it. And it's it's an uneasy thing because a guy is not going to necessarily ask you, can you help me tie this tie? And they'll right. sit in the mirror like for minutes. And when I see it, I normally jump on, jump on it. And I saw all these videos of somebody, you know, doing it when they're prepared for this. And I was like, that's such a, you know, uh, um, I wonder for other people, is it a big deal to learn how to tie a tie? Um, so I'll ask you, like Blue, who taught you how to tie a tie? Well, <clears throat> do you wear ties? I do. I do. I don't wear them appropriately, but I definitely wear ties. I've I've always found some artistic way of wearing my ties. But mm -hmm. I learned how to tie a tie actually from my grandfather. Okay. Um, unfortunately, my father was um DC. He died at when I was an adolescent, but mm -hmm. Um, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, and so I was used to clip-on ties. And mm -hmm. I remember it as a transition from um, pre-adolescence into adolescence. Mm -hmm. That's when, you know, I was, I, I, I want to say I probably was preparing for the Kingdom Hall. Middle school? And, no, I was preparing for the Kingdom Hall. Yeah, and, I was in that age range, like middle school age. Yep. And he um, he had a tie. And he was like, you know, come in. And he showed me how to tie the tie. And I, that was a bonding moment for us. So I could absolutely understand how it would be significant for, you know, young men to have their father show them something. And it's, it is symbolic. It is like a, you know, a rites of passage. Mm -hmm. um, because I do remember it being kind of a special moment. Because, you know, it was, you know, we were talking and he was showing me and he was, really explaining how to do the loops and the knot itself. And um, that was something that I held on to. And to this day, I've always tied the tie the way that he showed me how to. Now, I've, I've learned some other tricks, mm -hmm. other tying tricks. But yeah, he was the one who showed me how to do it. And um, oddly enough, that was the closest that him and I had ever been because he was a different, he was a I wouldn't say a man's man, but he was the the, the stereotypical man, you know. Um, he didn't say much. He was a very strong figure. He didn't have to say much, you know. Mm -hmm. um, when he, but when he did speak, you heard him. 
um, because he had a very booming voice. Like it was really deep, it was really strong. He worked with his hands all his life. He did like um, labor work. And so he was, you know, and he liked his beer and his vodka and and his um, wrestling. So we didn't, we were actually polar opposites because I was into art and I was into music and I wanted to, um, I wanted to be Diana Ross and Taylor Bell at the same time. So him and I, <laughs> I was nothing, nothing, in nothing, nothing, you know, and, but when I tied the tie down, after he showed me how to tie the tie, what I did with that tie, <laughs> oh, what I did was it became a headband. It became everything. But I, but he showed me initially how to tie a tie. It's 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 very interesting uh, because it just it made it makes me feel like well for me I'll, I'll speak about my story like I just felt like people just thought I would I already knew how to do things or I didn't need any help because I was very mature for a young person, but I always looked so much younger, but I think people just was like, oh, I need to get it. You know, I, I, they just thought I was too, and family members have said, you were smart. We didn't think you needed our help. Like, what did you, what could we do? And my family was really women heavy uh, and the guys were there, but they were like in and out. It wasn't really consistently there every day. And it just was, you know, it really, it was it was difficult. I, I'll never forget um, one of my my mother's cousins. Her her husband. We was at a family funeral, mm -hmm. and I had a suit on. It was a it was a brand new suit. I just wore it for my fifth grade graduation, and he was like, he was he always picked at me whenever he saw me. And he was like, man, come on, you gotta you gotta wear that suit correctly. And it, you know, if you again, if you buy a nice suit, it normally has a thread through the shoulder and like uh, around the wrist. And he was like, man, you gotta cut that off. So he like snipped it off. And like, by that time, I, I really wanted to learn how to tie a tie. And I remember him tying my tie for me, but it was so fast because we was like in the procession to go inside of the, the funeral. And he did it so fast. And it was, when I say I went home that summer and I, practice tying a tie and I was looking at that little ass card that came with it. It was no YouTube then, none of that where you could go and learn that way. I literally learned how to tie a tie watching this this damn little card that it was like a little trifold card. Yeah, that like called, six different it was this small. It was horrible. And if you learn how to, I mean, it was that car. If you learn how to tie a tie from that, I feel for you because that was a horrible. I saw that card and it was horrible. I did. But, that's I, that's really learned. I had to learn proportions and all that. But I think I got that over time. Mm -hmm. But I would I refused to go into middle school not knowing how to tie a tie because I didn't have a regular uniform in middle school. We just had a dress code. So I was like, I cannot, but we had to wear a tie. And I was right. like, I cannot go to middle school wearing this clip-on tie. Because my mother had found the long, they, they have adult clip-on ties. They have adult clip-on bow ties. And I was like, I cannot go now, to- Now that's the one that I want to learn how to do. I actually want to learn how to tie a bow tie. Um, but I probably would never- I would probably never ever wear a bow tie. I think this is so cheesy when I see people with bow ties. For some strange reason, you would. 
I think you would if you if you knew how to tie it. I think you would wear it more because no. I learned how to tie. I know how to I, when I tell you I practice. I know how to make a regular tie into a bow tie. That's how much I practice and just I always practice. Like I literally have actually Baltimore Fashion Week. I am doing a line of ties, but they're they're a little bit different than the regular ties. But mm -hmm. they are really. I just love to, I have over 400 ties mm -hmm. and I just, it was just something about tie. And you don't wear those ties every day, but I now just for me, wear them. I, when I started doing like in back, but, so what got me into head wraps was not Erica Badu. I mm -hmm. was into head wraps way before Erica Badu. I was into mm -hmm. head wraps. I, I grew up listening to like Sade. And so I, I started listening to a lot of, um, African music and and I would like the garbs that they would put on. And one of the things that I really liked was head wraps. And so mm -hmm. I would take my ties and I would wrap them around my head wrap. So they would I would infuse them or find some sort of creative way of putting them with my head wraps and having them with having a tie with my outfit as well. But that was mm -hmm. something that I did because I always felt like if you um it was a part of me being myself, you know, my method of expression has nothing to do with my sexuality, it has everything to do with how I'm feeling. And yeah. so when I would dress up, it would be, I felt like putting these clothes on because they were making me feel good. Right. Um, right. And I and believe it or not, when I was younger, I didn't like colors. The only color that I liked to wear was black, black and brown. Oh my goodness. It wasn't until I was much older that I actually started to wear. No burgundy. No burgundy. No burgundy. No no boygundy. <laughs> no boygundy. Um, no blues. No yellows. No reds. That was those. later. That was later. That was much much later. None of this. No eyeshadow. This mm -hmm. eyeshadow happened in college, um, but the lip gloss happened in middle school. <laughs> It wasn't, lip right gloss. it wasn't lip gloss then it was vaseline i just you know we would just scoop it out just it's just i've had this fascination with ties growing up i remember once i did get to middle school i was one of the only ones that knew how to tie a tie so but i think you it, were, it, it was a Catholic school yeah but none of the boys all the boys wore clip-ons you know how mad I was for practice that summer. And these boys came in there with clipboard ties on it. But it 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 became like my way of rebelling a little bit mm -hmm. because I didn't have any other way. I had to wear, you know, a dress code. You know, I was in school all year, all day. I literally went to school all year long, all day long. And it, I had no other expression. So I would tie two ties together and I, I was getting in trouble for ties. Mama said, if you get in trouble for wearing a fucking tie the wrong way again. Like, she just got tired of them calling her about this. But I, that was the only thing that could differentiate yourself. You know, that idea of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, him wearing his jacket inside out to just be different from everybody. Mm -hmm. I think that was my connection with ties. But it ultimately was just my expression. As you, Blue and I, Blue is somebody that's helping me with that project. Uh, that I'm doing, but it was my way of kind of, kind of teaching myself, and and having to do things for myself that the women around me didn't probably think of or would think that that was something that I really wanted to learn how to do, you know. And I, I, 
you said you was looking at certain people, but I I love um I think it was that Sefty the Best video came out with Tina Turner and she had mm-hmm. that white shirt on with them jeans. And that's how I looked throughout my whole adolescence. From middle school up into high school, I would wear they would they started calling me boys the men because I would wear blazers and ties and jeans. That was that's really where that came from. But that from. was the style. That was that was that era mm-hmm. style. Yeah. Um, when it came out, everybody was trying to get into that, that or the vest, you know, mm-hmm. a vest with a tie on and a and your pants, your shirt hanging outside your pants, but you still had this kind of preppy look about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they used to call yeah. me Nathan, Nathan from Boys the Men. That's that's because oh. his name is Nathaniel. So I was mm-hmm. I was Nate from Boys the Men, but it all that that stemmed back. So the, today's topic is how I learned how to tie a tie. And it's befitting because it was really a part of uh, the program. And and like I said, I'm doing Baltimore Fashion Week this year. And I didn't I didn't even realize that I had incorporated ties into it because it just became a part of my just repertoire. And I haven't been wearing ties a lot lately. One, because um, we've been in the house for two fucking years. Where am I wearing ties to? But whenever I get a chance to wear one, I don't care how hot it is, I'm going to wear a tie. Um, I, I like to pin them up and it look like it's perpetually blowing in the wind. It's just a crazy thing that, it, that just evolved in me. But it was interesting um, in me deciding today's topic. It was because I just I was just in the bathroom with a young man and he was having trouble tying his tie. And I was like, is this something that people don't think of? Like, especially a lot of single moms. And I know it's already tough being a single mom or, you know, even being a single dad, you know, I know it's, it's just something that people just don't think of if they is not part of their life. And it, like I, I said, think, go ahead. I think it has more to do with what our parents perceived as, um, uh, what is it, um, a sign of maturity, you know, yeah. or a sign of um, uh, prog- progress. You know, um, at least mine, I can't speak for anyone else's, but I do know that my mother, she was very heavy on education and appearance. Um, And and as I got older, she wanted me to um, kind of, you know, merge into the workforce without having that struggle of, you know, I'm trying to, you know, really, 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 overcompensate mm-hmm. and so for she she taught me the things that she they value you know parents education those things yeah. i don't think that in this this generation those things are as valued because you don't need those things to um the, to make an impact at least yeah. it appears you don't you know um i remember going to uh um for me growing up going on an interview you had to have on you know casual dress attire and you can go to on an to an interview with jeans and um flip-flops yeah. and it's normal um the same so thing that's, the rules there were any is is we that, we value dressing up but it's not really an option anymore it's not the main option but is that really a bad thing i don't believe that is necessarily a bad thing i think that people's um, understanding of themselves and of how they identify has evolved, 
You know, some people may say, well, uh, it's devolved, but in reality, I, yeah, I think it's, I really, because it, and the only reason why I say it is because I, I think putting on a suit and tie gave you a certain level of confidence. And then certain environments called for that. Like you said, right now, it doesn't. Like for me to go to a funeral and see most of the men with polos and jeans on, it just, it does something to me. And I don't know what it is. And I don't typically wear suits and ties anymore. I really have embraced like Africanism in terms of the clothing and the, the attire. So I dress up in those types of garbs. Mm -hmm. But it just is weird to me that most and grown men, young men go, you know, it 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 started with them wearing those rest in peace shirts. And then I was like, okay, you can wear that to the viewing, but don't wear that to the funeral. And I sounded like that old person in church selling people what to wear. But it just is a certain level of dignity that I think we should still hold on to. That doesn't mean anything beyond just that dignity and confidence. And but who set that standard? And I think that that's what we're seeing young people are kind of rebelling against, is that the social norms have been constructed by individuals that don't look like them. And what happens is, is that then it, and even the education, it doesn't up like I, one of the biggest, one of my biggest, biggest issues is, is that um, as a, as my profession, the individuals that they, um, they pay a lot of respect to, give a lot of um, kudos to, did not look like me. And, and the rules, the policies, the things that they put in place did not take people that look like me into consideration. And and I feel like the end of, like the young people today, when it comes to the way that they wear their clothes, um, I believe that they're they're, they're absolutely they're um, uh, uh, revolutionary in their in their opposition and their defiance because the stuff that um, we did was really oppressive. You know, we wore a tie, and a, and mm. I know that you may say you may say mm, um, that was us having a standard, but that was us trying to compete with individuals. And so we did those things to be seen as equals. But I think with this generation, I think their mindset is, is that, um, and I'm, again, I don't know, we should probably have them, someone from, you know, a, a panel of youth to have a conversation, just pick that mind to see what they actually think. But I believe that the things that they saw us do was very oppressive and it, um, it suppressed their abilities to be themselves, which is why I, they really lash out. I get that too. <laughs> I get that to a certain degree, but like in in my generation, I felt like there was a, a a really steep decline in doing that. Like I had a mother who made my clothes and and put me in like I had you know and even something she did was like pushing the envelope because I had a I had. I had a suit every Easter. I had a leather outfit every Easter. I had a short set. You had a, a leather outfit. A leather outfit. In the spring? It was the 80s. Can I tell you something? <laughs> it was the 80s. Poor Kyle. Come on now. <laughs> and oh, Lord. Why did she make you a leather outfit? 
It was like leather pants, and then I had would have it on shirt. And what in the biker club was she thinking? This <laughs> looks slick. I think she really liked Eddie Murphy. I think that's what it probably was. Oh. I didn't. I mean, I had to set because my little sister, she would then get the hand-me-down in terms of she would turn those pants into a skirt for her. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was just, I think she just, my mother liked leather. She now, my mom, definitely my mom was a seamstress as well. I think that that was something that I, I don't know. My aunt was, all of my aunts were seamstress. seamstresses. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my mother, she could sew. She could, she could, um, what is it? Uh, macrame. She could do all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I, prior to her passing, I wanted her to teach me how to do it because I was envious of that gift. I definitely wanted to learn how to sew because in my mind, I always, I never like to wear, I never like seeing people in ordinary clothes. I've always liked to be in costume. So, you know, and things that are flowing and stuff of that nature, because to me, that, to me, that, that embodied my personality. And so I've never been able to get the things that I want because they don't sell that. They don't have those in the stores and the stores that they do have them in, they're actual costume stores. But what my mom would do was she would take outfits, she would look at it, um, a costume, and she would create an outfit out of a costume. Yeah. And so it would, so she would make, um, she would always have capes and you know, um, uh, skirts and wonderful, I mean, beautifully patterned dresses and things. She could do excellent bead work, all of this stuff. And I'm like, Mom, please tell me how to teach you how to do these things. That's what I think is coming back. So let's real quick, let's take a commercial break. I think Monty has to take a PP break. We'll be huh? right back in just a few moments. Got a TT. The Artist Exchange Radio Show only on BigSposedRadio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back. As you could see, that was a snippet of Baltimore Fashion Week. The 13th, we opened up with the Impact Awards. The 15th, we have the Off the Rack series uh, with myself. Um, actually, we'll have an actual Baltimore Raven, Mr. Bateman, Rashad Bateman. He'll be opening up the show uh, on uh, August. <laughs> My bodies were black. August the 15th. So come on now. Uh, uh, Baltimore Fashion Week's uh, creator and organizer, Sean Nixon, will also be ripping the runway that day, too. That Tuesday, we'll be meeting with uh, Scrap Be More. It's like a thrift store Mm -hmm. or secondhand store for art supplies. For artists, we know how much things cost. For parents who have to do projects with students, it's a great space to go and 
either create a, ha a hobby, I said habit, because it is a hobby, or to, you know, be able to afford one um, that you already have, especially if you're just starting out as a jewelry designer, as a visual artist. They have tons of fabric, tons of yarn, beads, the galore, all those things, art supplies, visual art supplies. Get out to that store. Scrap B Moore is down on Bar Street, right in Pigtown, right off of Washington Boulevard. So Tuesday we'll be there. Thursday we'll have a meet and greet. I believe Wednesday we're doing interviews with designers and models. Um, I don't know what's happening. I think Friday is another meet and greet. And then Saturday there's a, a day of rest <laughs> uh, for the seven day events. And then on Sunday, we have the main show with our designer, um, all at center stage. Come on, join us. Go to uh, fashionumbrella.org. Back to the conversation at hand. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, those things, those expressions kind of stemming away a little bit from how I learned how to tie a tie. Um, we really have to. So my this 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 has probably happened to me a tons of times when I was in a bathroom and uh, I hate to keep saying it because it sounds real creepy, but uh, tie someone's tie. But also this summer, I worked with all girls, all young ladies, high school girl, age girls, um, and a jewelry making, uh, it was actually their job because they were working through youth works, um, mm -hmm. but teaching them how to make jewelry and just understanding confidence level and, and and not and and as we were speaking before we left, just that change of time in terms of it being another generation coming and being very rebellious of change and what was and trying to make it something else. Uh, but they're using the same things that we had and just remixing it. It's not re you can't recreate the will at this point. All you can do is refashion it or redesign it. Um, in, in many ways. And there's some levels of innovation, but it's definitely being sourced from things that was. And, and just the idea of, of, of for me, it, it, I still hold tight to some of those standards and traditions. Like if you go to a funeral, you go dress a certain way. If you go to a wedding, you go dress a certain way. If you go into a graduation, you were dressed a certain way. And the general, the 20 somethings, early 30 somethings, teens, is just letting it all hang out. And I'm all for it, but in the proper place. And I think a lot of that is because there's been an absence of mentorship and there's been an absence of healthy family units where traditions are being passed out. I see some of them as very oppressive, but I see a lot of them as standards. And 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 it's nothing wrong with with having a dress code for a funeral. And I'm I'm only saying this because I've seen some weird and wild stuff being brought into a sanctuary. But I think that again, I think that those standards were created by oppressive individuals. And I think that for and to me, I think for um, that was probably my biggest issue is that I saw it as oppressive. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, uh, to this point, to, uh, even today, I don't like to wear suits because it was oppressive and it was like a uniform for church. And to me, people got caught up in the uniform instead yeah. of the actual, the, the whole 
reason why you were in church, which was supposed to be a spiritual communion. But it was never about that. It became about the uniform you had on. And if you went into the then death and a Jehovah's Witness church, which is, in my opinion, extremely conservative. But then when you go into, say, for instance, a Baptist, apostolic, holiness church, then it's a competition of whose uniform is better than whose. And who's I, I think it evolved into that. That, I don't think that's how it started off. I definitely think it evolved into it that. It may not have. But make it your own, though. Like, but I think that that's what young people are doing. I think that they're making, they're, they're, they are, um, they're doing them, is how they would say it. They're doing them. They're expressing themselves the way that they feel. So if they show up at the funeral in their street dog, they're showing up at the funeral because that's their way of paying homage. But they don't necessarily have to dress up to do that. And I think that that's okay. I think that in terms of as artists, we um, it's good to have, and I hear what you're saying. It's good to have a standard. It's but good it's, to it's have a fine. foundation. Like there's a, it's, it's how I have chosen the dress, but it's also, and and I don't, and I don't, I don't mind. Like you know, one of my cousins was killed. A younger cousin was killed, and most of the people showed up with like a shirt with his picture on it. And I didn't find that out of the blue because I saw that slowly getting to that point. But is is I don't want to. So do now I will say this: as an artist, and if you are expressing yourself, you have to be mindful of what attention it does draw. Right. So, for instance, if you come to a funeral and you have on a halter top and some, um, uh, what is that, hoochie daddy shirt shorts on, a uh, hoochie mama shorts on, then you have you're responsible for the attention it attracts, be it good or bad. That's mm. the thing. Even with art, I feel like if you're going to be an artist and you're going to be, for instance, your type of music you're going to play is, you know, um, um, uh, P Valley strip club music. You got to be, you have to be okay with the art, the, the attention you're going to attract based off of the art you're presenting. And I think that that's where, so when you, when you were talking about confidence, even with the um, jewelry making, as an artist, you have to be, you have to be, have integrity with your art to stand by it when people are going to slay it because right. you're going to get an equal amount of attention. You're going to get just as much good attention. You're going to get just as much negative attention as you're going to get good attention. And you could do everything. Look at Beyonce. I think she's an excellent entertainer. And every time she puts something out, there's just as many people saying that her shit sucks as it is people that like me that's saying, okay, she's doing her thing. You get what I mean? Right. And so I feel like when you are dressing up or when you are presenting yourself, you have to have the integrity and the confidence to stand by what you're doing. And I think that what happens is, is that for me, a lot of young people, um, a lot of older people don't stand by their presentation. So they, and sometimes their presentation is a contradiction. I've seen that a lot, where you have this individual and they look pristine, they have all of this stuff together, but they don't really have anything together. So mm -hmm. it looks like the, the, and I think for me, I tend to operate on the mindset of, I don't like to judge the book by the cover, I like to judge the content. And so I feel like a lot of young people present their content. Like on the flip side, I think sometimes we, um, um, they misrepresent themselves. So they, they yeah. dress these ways and that's not actually not who they are. 
But I think that's what we are, we've struggled with all our life is identity. Who are we? You know, and in that effort to try to find who we are, we're going to go through these different stages of presentation. So the person that you may see <coughs> may not be the person that you see much later in life. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, this was not what I, this is not how I presented myself, you know, um, when I was growing up. This is who yeah. I am now. And as I get older, it's going to evolve again. But the reason I am this way is, is because at the statement that I'm make, making in this era is, I am going to be me as much as possible. And I'm, I'm, and I'm okay with my mode of expression. But there's, a, there's a, the, what I hear, what I hear you saying and, and matching it to my point, I, I just think that there's a lack of mentorship so you have people coming into people's lives after they're they've started making decisions that may not be good or bad or whatever but you have people coming in as spectators and not as mentors making comments about things like for me i i have a certain way about myself only and it's mainly based off how i was raised you know having a great grandmother to go in her room is not wasn't the norm for many people. Maybe a grandmother, but not a great grandmother. So that's another layer of wisdom that you get and patience that I've learned. Like I'm not an overreactive person because I I learned how to sit down and shut up. And it and it wasn't disrespectful to me as it is to people nowadays. Uh, Troy and I was having a conversation the other day, and he made a statement. Like he said at the at his level of experience, he's able to speak about what he does and how he does it. But it, it's always a conflict. And I know I'm a part of the conflict when, when you have a young person that's been doing it for themselves and they have not had the mentorship and it becomes a, a collision course when they come across somebody who has the wisdom and the experience, and they're willing to mentor. So it becomes like two people butting heads because you can't tell me nothing. Ain't nobody been helping me this whole time. Ain't nobody been doing, I've been doing it for myself. And I've had that same thought process in my mind, but because I'm still a patient person, because of my experience, I'm, I still know how to listen. And it's just- I think that- Go ahead. I think that with mentorship, sometimes this is where it gets a little tricky. And it gets mm -hmm. a little gray because sometimes that it, mentoring can be oppressive in a sense because you're teaching from your experiences and from your 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 um from your explain to generation. me the oppressive part though. So what like I'm saying is, is this: for instance, for instance, um, if my grandmother had an issue with me um, interacting with white people. So when, but even though she was a domestic and she worked for white people. So when I, in my generation, I went to school with white people. I befriended them. I had an inter, I had a different interaction. In her generation, she didn't. So the way she taught was based off of her experiences. And I feel, I feel like what happens is, is that when we are mentoring, but when we are teaching, we have to be very careful that we're not teaching biases. And I think that that's, and I think that if you are going to mentor, you have to mentor from a position where you're unbiased, 
when you're open to understanding where the person you're mentoring, you're taking into consideration the things that they've experienced or the things they're upbringing because they but may, then, what, they may have. What happened was, and, and the, I, the why it is like that now, I think because I was taught to question and not simply if you say something to me, why? But I was, but see, taught, I was taught how to question adults when it was something I didn't understand. But see, that in my generation was not something you did. When, a, when, adult, when adults said something to you, you listened. You didn't question that. And even if it was something that in your heart of hearts, you was like, I don't believe in this or I don't agree with this, because they were an adult, you didn't challenge that. But, and but it see, wasn't the until problem is you jumped to a challenge. So me questioning something wasn't a challenge. It was for clarity and understanding. So the, the, elder, the elder that I grew up in the house with was very open to me asking questions. But it's, it's a thing of... Point we don't we don't go and, and and I understood that, but we don't as individuals, especially the younger generations, we don't go any deeper than the surface because we're too lazy. Many of us are too lazy to even go beyond it because there's a reason your grandmother did not want you around white people because she knew who they were. White people didn't change from her okay. generation to their generation. Your access and your opportunities change. But white people stay the same. We can, and it may be the case. Sex. But, but, and that may be the case. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that um, my access to them changed the dynamic. It, but they, the white people, it changed it your dynamic. No, but, but no, it changed. Were, it changed. It's the it's the same as when they did the um, um when um we had access to successful black people in our communities. Mm -hmm. So what happens is it changed the the way we interacted and it changed the way that we perceived and how we navigated things. And so what I'm saying is, is this, when you were saying like, okay, you were saying that with your, um, your parents and your grandparents, they allowed you to question things. They weren't, that wasn't the case during my generation. You didn't mm -hmm. question an adult, you know, even if you felt like the adult was wrong. And that's the reason why a lot of times there was that, resentment because it was like look i know in my gut this was something that i didn't agree with but i had to do it because that was the rule for us then i think with the generations as they progress they kind of challenge those social norms and said wait a minute wait a minute what makes this right why do we have to but that's um, but that's not that's not good that's what you should do and 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 my my problem is one, there were adults that did not allow you to question them, but it's how you do it. And that's my problem with these that's what, generations that's now. You. It's how, but it's how it's how you're doing things. It's how well, they're agree. doing things. I agree now. that it's how, because but what I'm saying to a you lot of them is feel that that wasn't allowed. And I get that, but it has grown into young people feeling as though they can just erase our history and erase who they were and erase how they were. You know, even that statement of, I'm not, I'm not my grandmother, or I'm not, when, when speaking about slavery or racial injustice or anything, and it's, it, it's a, to me, it's a slap in the face of all the work 
that has been done, all the sacrifice that had been made. And the, one of the problems is mentorship has been taken out of schools and be replaced with a very toxic form of mentorship. As you said, I think the reason why they're that way is because of their experience with these individuals that they supposed to look up to and they supposed to get, get gain guidance from. And I believe that again, you know, it's unfortunate that um, there were a lot of adults that didn't know how to be adults because there wasn't anyone that was teaching them how to be an adult. And right. the adults that they were teaching, and then think about it, sometimes the adults that were doing the teaching was only teaching, they were teaching um, negative, you know, toxic experience. behavior based off of their experience. So and that's, that's my point. Like that's part of the rebellion, a part of the, the rebellion is to break that cycle. You know, um, again, like you were saying, you were allowed to ask questions. Well, a part of our, my rebellion was I dared to do my own thing because I wasn't going to conform any longer. So I broke away from the religious dogma that we was used to, you know, go pray to Jesus and make everything go right. Well, no, it wasn't making everything go right, you know. And but that's what I see in this younger generation. Is that but I just, I just feel away. like people are taking things the wrong way, and that that it bothers me because even even the way we 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 report on information, it just feels like you're not even putting your cognitive skills together and understanding what you're watching or what you're seeing, and it 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 uh, is alarming to me because. We it's like we don't have any uh what what did they call it context clues or um when you read something comprehension like our comprehension of things people say has gotten so skewed because I no longer listen to what you said I'm I'm listening to how you how I feel or how uh or I, I take bits and pieces of what you say and I create a narrative of what I think you're saying. You're but not even that, hearing what I'm saying anymore. Because but, the same, the same thing that the same thing that you you said about uh white people, you know, my grandmother was very ignorant. Her and her siblings were very ignorant uh in terms of what who white people were, but I can't even and I say ignorant because some of the information that they gave me, it wouldn't have been safe for me to go to white schools with that attitude. I learned how to be, to listen and hear people and just have a calmness about things. Now I still question things, but I, the way I see young people questioning things today is beyond disrespectful because you're not even hearing, and I understand why that is happening, but there has to be some type of consciousness that happens of like, well, maybe I should just listen. Because the information that, that I'm getting is, is from a certain perspective. But I think that that's, as, a, as we as adults, we fail in a sense where we're teaching, we're saying we want you to listen to us, but are we actually listening to them? And I think that that's the biggest issue is, is that when we are- But you have to know are, something and the, and, in order I, to question it. Well, no, but the fact is, is that you your, your perspective and your perception of things is based on where you are. Where you're standing, but if the, if you're from 
from the bottom looking up, the way things look is completely different from if from the top looking down. And so I think for and and when you're in a position of power as we are as adults, we tend to look at things from our own mindset, but we don't really understand how it is that they're seeing things. And I think the fact is is that many of the times when you actually sit with a young person and you have a conversation with them, you'll hear that they do want guidance, but they want guidance from someone that will actually listen to where they're where they are actually listen mm -hmm. to some of the things that I'm going through, understand why I'm this way, as opposed to just prejudging me and thinking I'm just oppositional. You, young people aren't, they're not inherently bad individuals. They're no. not, they're, they're not. They're taught that. They learn mm -hmm. through, they learn through um, observation. They learn through um, um, what you teach them in school. They learn through their experiences. And so what happens is we don't know a lot of the things that they have to endure once they leave our our vision, our but, sight. But that's a misconception because as two adults, we know now as adults, things that our parents said to us, it makes sense now. Some, some, but some of the stuff that we, some of the stuff that you and I experienced, they didn't experience. Some of the stuff that we've experienced they would probably be like, well, why, what the hell? Because, and, and, and it's crazy because that's the exact same thing these young people are experiencing, especially you said, when this you generation. Earlier, you said it earlier. Like there's, there's been this, and, and I don't know where it started. And I think it was from the beginning of time where, you know, children started raising children. With, with, and, and teen pregnancy is not a new thing, but I think, where it is now, there's there's a lack of support when a teen does get pregnant, or because even when baby, our is pregnant. Because even in our generation, when you were pregnant, having a baby was a form of punishment. But what that looks like is that looks like children growing up in households where they're abused or neglected, where they are not getting that guidance because the parent that that had them didn't want them. They, did, they didn't want them, and the grandmother didn't want them. And so they grow up, and they're resenting these adults down that are now saying, well, I'm your mother, or I'm your grandmother. You listen to what I'm saying, but you raised me to feel as though I was nobody, that you didn't but, want me. But I hear that, and I get the misinformation and miscommunication from those scenarios, but I do not think, and I personally don't feel that's the majority. I, I think we have a lot of, and I'm and only because I'm seeing them and I'm seeing them from a different perspective that you may be seeing them. I'm seeing a lot of young people that without even knowing anything, you're questioning. Without knowing anything, without being taught something, you're already on the defense. And I get where that's coming from. Where they coming it, from? It, it, well, it's, it's a trickling down because... This, I can't give you as a parent, I can't give you anything as a parent or adult in general. I can't give you something that I've never been. But given. I believe, so me, my interpretation of that is, is that that's the parent, that's the adults in their life because they're yeah. only going to do what they've seen done. So if they yeah. see someone, you, you know, if they have, if you have a young person that's cussing you out, that's because in the house, that's how they respond to so that's how they communicate. If you have a young person that's always questioning authority, 
then you're going to have someone that's going to, oh, whenever you say, don't do this, no, fuck you. I'm going to do what I say, this, that, and the other. Who are you? You ain't my mother. You ain't my father. That's because that's what they've been taught. That And, and, and so I don't blame the young person. I look at the adults in their yeah. life. Well, that's, that's my me, point in this. The, 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 the lack of mentorship has caused generations, the last, I say, two or three generations, because I, I believe my generation, and I'm not saying mentorship is just gone, but the mentorship that has been, it has been replaced by is very angry and very pushy and arrogant. And, I think and, and, they are you know, being mentored. They're just not being mentored in, uh, um, I would say, a healthy. And, and right, and that's, what, that's what I'm saying. It's, to me, it's not like it's, mentorship has disappeared, but it's been replaced with a form of mentorship that is one, like you have school systems that are not organized, yet they are pushing for their students to be organized. They're not on time. They're not prompt. They're not remembering facts but they're pushing their children in the same sentence. That just happened to me this summer. I watched a whole program, try to give and it with a good intention, but you wasn't on board. You wasn't consistent. You wasn't reliable, but you're forcing these children who have workspace and, you know, are put into these workspaces and you're wondering why they want to leave early. Or they feel they like they should get paid for not doing their work because they see you getting paid for not doing their work. So why wouldn't I feel like, and that's what I feel like has been replaced by. Or you have these, especially for young men, you have these organizations when they're young, um, making it about being a man or, um, or dressing a certain way will make you be a man, but you haven't shown them how to be little boys yet. And you're trying to get them to a space of being a man and making man decisions, and you haven't shored their useful foundations up. So that I think, and I think that that's the biggest issue is, is that being a youth isn't about. I think being a youth is about learning the world around you, in an in an unoppressed environment where you're right. able to be imaginative where you're able to explore and the adults in your life are there to supply you with some guidance and some wisdom as to why the fire burns. But why is it pretty when it glows? You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. They, We don't provide them with that. Um, and, and I think what we do is don't touch it because I said so, or don't do this right. because I said so. Or, and that's what they're but, getting before. And when, when individuals like ourselves introduce ourselves into their world, they don't know how to take people from that creative perspective or from a nurturing perspective. They don't know how to receive that. Also, I mean, because, and they, and they may see it as a threat. And, you know, um, I'm perceived as a threat. You know, if you see me with blue eyeshadow and blue and yellow eyeshadow on, the first thing they're going to think of is pedophilia. Um, you trying to indoctrinate my child into being gay. They're not going to, Think artists, they're not going to think expression, they're not going to think any of those things. They're going to they think don't have people. those things themselves, they're boys well, of and, those things themselves. And they may not, and they're not that advanced to see beyond that scope. You get what I mean? That they're used to. So, and it sometimes it challenges them because the assumption is, is that that's what 
I, my, I'm doing. In reality, no, I'm being me, but we teach individuals to be collective. We teach them how to be um, like androids, uh, um, mm -hmm. um, carbon copies of one another. But the funny thing is, is that they told, in my generation, you were, you, they wanted you to be independent. They wanted you to be your own self, but it was a contradiction because even though they said, we dare to be you, they always had you in a uniform. They always had you learning the same thing. They always had you answering on cue. Mm -hmm. So that was a contradiction. So for me, I think that it is exposing them to as much as possible without damaging them or trying to corrupt them or trying to sway what they're going to do, but giving them an giving them options. Yeah. And options. that's what as adults, we didn't we didn't provide them with options. We gave them what we had. And, and, so, that's, and that's, unfortunately, that's somebody that's in front of even adults, I always lead with these are just options because I understand where people are coming from and being barked at all day. And right. it, it, it becomes noise. It becomes like loud noise to people to be instructed or be guided the way that they're doing it now because everything is preventative. I, I, I really, this topic was really, you know, out of um, a closing ceremony that we did with the youth workers this summer and all the people that went up and spoke and I really wasn't going to say anything from my program other than, you know, the closing remarks. But I saw, you know, I saw all the adults getting up there doing the scare tactics, telling them not to use drugs and not to, you know, be promiscuous and all the scare tactics. And I, I being the last person that came up, I, my first statement was, well, you, they've told you what not to do. I'm only here to show you what you can do. And some of the some of the adults were a little teed off at me, you know, because I didn't give them that hell and brimstone type of uh, conversation. Right. And it's only because I was that uh, I was that child before, and I remember somebody uh, having those types of conversations with me. And it's like, well, what do I do then? How how do I perform? How do I matriculate into adulthood? How do I make better choices? How do I focus, how do I X, Y, Z? And, and, and none of that being given. In terms of behaviors, it actually gets the opposite reaction. Yeah. I remember growing up and again, in a conservative household with a lot of rules and education and education and education. And I couldn't wait to get a certain age to do everything that they said not to do. I remember becoming, I remember as soon as I got into high school. A curiosity and blossoms. The, the first thing I wanted to do was get drunk, have sex, smoke weed. I wanted to do all the things that was no, 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 no. Because I wanted to understand why were they saying no to stuff that I saw them doing? What was the difference from between me doing it and them doing it? And that's the, and that's so, the part for the young person that's the part for me that was so obvious. It was so, this is why, because this nigga can't keep a job. That's why he's telling me not to get high. Like, I, I just was able to- But see, I didn't grow up with that narrative. The people that right. were getting high, were they had jobs. They didn't, it wasn't that, um, they weren't sitting out on a corner um, nodding off. No, in my generation, you could, be addicted to heroin and still be a doctor. 
But but, but see, the, the useful part of me will be, well, why do you need to do that? But see, again, my thing was, so the way that I interpreted it was, are you doing, that, that was fun. That's adult fun. And what we were doing was yeah, I was never said, Yeah, I was never given that. Different era. A completely different era. I remember well, because when I, was I, I had, I had, I think people saw in me a natural curiosity, mm -hmm. but mine was more on the inquisitive side, not necessarily like, oh, I want to try that dope. But I was always given like the reality of what was happening with that person. And I would so, see that I didn't have any uncles that owned anything or, you know, had their own. And I would realize, well, they're using drugs. They're not holding down jobs. Don't do drugs. Well, like, the funny thing for me, I think, and it has everything to probably do with the fact that I think that I, I was always innately a scientist at heart, is that um, I always wanted to test the theories. So for me, I grew up with two parents that were both that both struggled with addiction. But um, mm -hmm. to me, I wanted to know what the experience was. So I didn't do what they did, but I did I did experience mm -hmm. with substance use, and I got to feel I now have a reference point where I can say this is what I experienced when I did it. So when I'm talking to young people, I can understand. Oh, I can see why it would be appealing to you but do you do, have you ever considered this because i mm. do have a reference point i think a lot of times when it comes to young people they don't they're talking to adults with no real reference point in their life mm. and so or it's outdated so the stuff that you're teaching me from doesn't even apply to this era yeah and so yeah. you got to make it relevant and i think that that's where we missed the mark is that for this generation, come on now, we weren't having half the stuff that they're doing out here. You know, and I think a part of that is, you know, it's an advancement. This uh, just well, generation is much also, more advanced. So, so I look at certain people like the Jay-Z's and the people like of that caliber who have mm -hmm. done things a certain way, gotten all this success, which is very appealing to young people, money, success, fame, and then you telling them not to do these things. So now they say, well, how do I get to that? So all the all the men that are just shimmying their junk over everywhere, all of the, the influencers that are painting pictures of success when it's really poverty, you know, all of those things are based off of them watching someone do something this way and wanting that type of outcome for themselves. And I think that it, I, I look at it like this. I feel like um, in a positive note, I think that many of them are capitalizing off of what we thought that they would. Now, for instance, in my generation, men would never where um, they might have worn for sports, the hoochie daddy shorts and all of that stuff. Man, that's they not really even a new thing. That's, it's that's, not. They um, sock and lacrosse shorts that they yeah, wear. Exactly. So I believe that those are the things that um, people have figured out, how do I capitalize off of? How do I make it work for me when there's nothing else? Okay. And I think even with the OnlyFans, I think that that was kind of like, you know what? Um, we when they were doing a whole porn and stuff like that, that was their way mm -hmm. of saying, you know what, let's 
create our own, let's create a, a place where we can market ourselves. YouTube, TikTok, we, um, why do we have to, why do we have to wait for someone to entertain us when we can go and we can make our own entertainment for ourselves? So I think that we've created, I think that this generation has, in my opinion, they're really intelligent. I just think that intelligence isn't the same as, I, you know, it doesn't align with what we were raised with. It's not so long I, term. It's, it's everything it is survival. Be. It feels like survival. Or it may feel like that, but tomorrow. think of the stuff that we did. A lot of the things that we did may have looked like and felt like just survival, but we were able to build off of it. You get what I'm saying? And yeah, but that's, that's the thing. But yeah, it's not, the foundation is so shallow. It's so shallow. Like we're telling our children, you don't need education. You don't need to learn anything. But look at the education. Think about it. You go to school and you go into an environment where the person that's supposed to be teaching you don't know what the hell they're teaching. They have to learn the curriculum. You get what I mean? So it's like, you know, so to me, you got to look at the reason why the system itself is jacked up. If we got to call it, call it, I'm, I'm blaming something, blame the system. Well, and I think for the most part, the reason, and not just educational, but people are jumping into things for the money and what it looks like to people. I know plenty of people who are dumbest doorknobs who never wrote a paper in college who are now professors. Yeah. And they got that way because somebody helped them or did it for them. And now they have the appearance of a professor you got, or of a teacher. And you got those same individuals that are in positions where they create the rules and, and, the, and, and the policies that govern what the jobs that you do. Mm -hmm. the get, you got those same individuals doing that. And so my thing is, is that, but when does it stop? It stops when someone dares to be different. It stops when someone goes against the grain. It stops when someone draws outside the box. And- uh, well, You know, I can't read this fucking screen, Bonnie. Oh, what he said. Um, so to me, that's, that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I, I get, I, I definitely get it. And my argument is definitely mentor-based, mentorship-based. And it, it has to be at this point, because we're so far gone in a given circumstance of you, young people being totally rebellious and older people being so hands-off and it's so extreme. And there are a lot of people still in the, in the fight in the middle on both sides. But for the greater majority of people, I think we are doomed. And these are going to be the same people that are, and, and we already see it. We have the people that are in my age group and younger that are telling everybody, go get an LLC. When, and that's the, that's the topic that we're going to talk about later this month at the Black to the Future event sponsored by I myself, Vashabu Jewelry, Shania Wright of, of, the Baltimore scene and the Black Arts District, where we bring you a monthly event where we talk about these types of topics. And Bonnie actually will be the presenter for this month's uh, Black to the Future event, where he's talking about money matters. But that was a shameless plug. But um, uh, it, it, I just see the extreme. And I'm, I'm seeing it more and more 
because I'm still with young people. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, I haven't worked with high school students in a number of years. So seeing that they are no further today than they were when I was teaching in high school is scary to me. It's very but I think scary. that I think that speaks to again um, their parents, um, what they value. I know that for me, yeah. it was nothing for a parent to go up and be a part of the school. You, it was nothing for you to see a parent in yeah. the cafeteria or walk in the hallways yeah. or uh, coming into the classroom assistant. Yeah. That changed. That was my mother. Um, that was definitely that, my mother. That changed. That changed. That, that, that was my mom. You know, mm-hmm. um, that was nothing. And, you know, and one of the things that I, that was happening even then, was that you saw uh, um, an overrepresentation of moms, but not dads, because that was considered a mom's role to be considered, you know, to 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 take care of the rearing of the children. And so part of that was making sure that they were doing what they had to do in school. Um, and dad was he was the you know the disciplinarian after mom was the disciplinarian. Yeah, that's changed. But, that, but it was it felt like it was starting to be built that way. I remember in middle school, I was in this, uh, my middle school had this program called Rainbows. And Rainbows was specifically for young men. I went to an all boys school, uh, St. Ignatius. Um, and uh, it, was, it was specifically for young men who were being raised by single moms. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. But what ended up happening was most of the, because you were you were chopped up in your grade level, but most of the children out of this very small school were being raised by these single parents. And, and single meaning the other parent wasn't there or for some reason was, you, you know, somewhere else or, you know, whatever the scenario may be, but your right. primary parent was on their own or without the other primary parent. And that it was just weird to me. And some of the subject matter was stuff that we were talking about, but they were asking us questions about, about and, and it probably was somebody's thesis statement or somebody's you know, graduate degree that we were doing because I realized another program that I was in starting in second grade that matriculated with us was somebody's, I think his name was Richard Rowe. It was his, uh, his doctoral statement you know, about, um, and they were basically trying to see if if you gave these resources to students, it was called Project Raise. If you were if you gave these after school resources to children, would it help the retention rate, or would children come to school on time? Would they matriculate through school effectively? Would they graduate? Would they then go to college? And it was a, all a thesis statement, which I think we need to stop testing theories out and really try to help our children. Because I think there's getting to a space where children are, it's just, it's it's different. And I'm different in that these children are getting more access to things and more opportunities with even less knowledge, comprehension, understanding, and guidance. I would say- Generations. I would say that they're cutting out the middleman. I think um, the internet and and their access to information um, removes the teachers 
removes the adults. Because why do I have to listen to you when I can go and look it up myself? And, because that's, and, that information is being brought to you by somebody else who don't know. Who's just... That, that, may, that may be. Or on the flip side, they may actually do that. So they take, they're taking the risk, but they rather risk it than sit in front of someone who doesn't necessarily have their best interest and you can feel it and see it. And I feel like when you go into the schools, I just don't feel the same vibe that I felt when I was growing up. You know, I remember coming up in an, an environment where the teachers lived in the neighborhood, which it was nothing for um, our teachers to walk us home. We were all latchkey children, but she, in her walk to her house, she was walking with the kids. She made sure that they were, they got, if she didn't have to do anything um, as far as the curriculum, she made sure the children, she would go to the corner, she would walk them up to one corner, and then she'd watch them go to their different houses down the street. And then later on that day, you'd see her walking around the corner, and it was nothing for us to help walk her home. Um, but that doesn't happen anymore. And, you know, and, and, and I think that that's the, big issue for me is, is that a lot of the things that you're talking about, and I absolutely do understand it, has shifted with the time. And it's unfortunate that the young people, for me, when I work with young people, I try to, I'm more open to hearing what their experience is, because then I'm able to understand what it is that they're, they need, as opposed to what it is I want them to have. Because a lot of times, you may see something and they don't see it, and you you have to allow them to experience to see it. You have to allow them to go through whatever it is that they have to go through so that they can gain some information rather than trying to do it for them. And I think that in the school system, the way that the system is set up, it isn't designed for this generation. It's designed for my generation and it has to evolve. And unfortunately, we don't have individuals that are in positions where they are the administration, um, the, a lot the, of them don't uh, have children. That's that's one of the biggest problems. Or they well, don't have children that are in the same systems that they're teaching them. Absolutely, you know, I agree. The parents who, I, and it's 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 not. And I think that I I should not send my children to X school, and I'm able to teach in this school to afford to be able to send them to that school. But it's still it matters to me that you don't the people who are decision makers because the reason especially with the teacher unions and the structures of school that happened because we had a couple teachers who thought they knew better than the community than the the other teachers that were there for the right reasons and started making rules and convinced all the teachers that hey we need this system that protects us and i'm not against unions but i'm against uh, organizations that overlook the reason we're all here. And it may not have, and I will say this, uh, and they may not have any of the representation there at the table when they're doing the decision making. And right. that's the big thing, you know, right. um, is, is that, you know, a lot of the policies that we, we are, are abiding by and don't actually have any individual that they're supposed to be serving there when they're making the decision. For instance, you know, they they um um about to go up on BGE. Well, what they going who who gonna pay for that? <laughs> you know, um the school system, they 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 about to revamp some stuff with them. 
you know, but where are the parents at? Where are the, where are the students? You know, where are the young people that have to go into these schools in um, this coming September, where their, where's their voice? You know, and the representation, don't get, you know, and this is a big thing for me, is don't get the kid that makes 90s all the time to come speak for the other children. No. Well, that's how they've always done it. Exactly. But now and they that's don't the wrong way. Do They're not even doing that. They're looking at numbers and projections and scientific hypotheses that like they're not even looking at real people anymore. They're looking at computer screens and algorithms now. And mm -hmm. it's, that is scary to me that that's what we're being raised in because I see not just young people, I see a lot of adults that have been skipped over because of that transition into this new world that we're in. And I don't think it's the Is it really new? It is very much so new because I can tell when it started happening because as an adult, when I started teaching, being a teaching artist, I could see the changes starting to happen right before my eyes. Then now they, those changes started a little bit while I was still in school, but I could see I could see it physically from a perspective of I didn't. This ain't what the school I went to, or what was value. I think it's more so to do with the knowledge that you were privy to, because the reality is is that especially people of color, we've always been guinea pigs, you know. And unfortunately, yeah. I mean, even so, so I don't think, and and I, I think the educational system was just a big research project. It was never meant to do the things that we assumed it was meant to do. And that's where yeah, that's the it biggest was never problem. meant to do that. So I think that it, um, um, the assumption was that it was meant to, you know, advance you and educate you. That was the illusion they wanted you to believe. But more so than anything, it was just meant to house you there while people needed to go to work. So, <laughs> so. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, 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 I push a lot of my parents to, you have to get up like th this is daycare free daycare and that's why it's being done now everybody's able to bring in their idea of you know this 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 thought or this scientific experiment because nobody is saying anything and nobody is really focusing on what is really necessary and even within our communities going back to what the topic is today um, and I'm specifically thinking about young black men mm -hmm. and how our needs are always overlooked. And I, I was talking to um I was talking to a young person like a couple of weeks ago, and the things that they were saying, it was weird to me because the clarity in young black men don't have a voice. We were speaking about the squeegee boy. Um, and we don't have a voice. So when we do things and it's against what the norm is or what the law is or what the morality laws are, it's it's blown out of proportion. But you mm. put me into, you, you've backed me into a corner where I've had to learn to survive and to thrive in that survival that when something happens, like I shoot somebody who was trying to attack me with a bag, I look like the bad guy. And specifically for the young black boys and not saying anybody else is not important or significant, but it really is, is irritating one, 
but mostly it is scary to me because I just feel like we're in a space where it's everybody for themselves and people are comfortable with that. People are comfortable with part of your family just not having it at all and you having the means and you like, well, I got to make sure I'm good. Not even your children or your parents or your siblings, but me. But I think that that we we you got to take into consider the factors that make people that way, you know. And I think that it's unfortunate. It's a lot. Of, there are different variables. There are different factors that um, that um, impact individuals and that that guide that drive their behavior. So I'm just saying, for me, um, for those young people, me working with young people, me working with individuals that are um, that have been struggling with substance use, me working with people that have been um, struggling with HIV or homelessness, um, me getting the opportunity to work with those people of different populations. I've had an opportunity to hear, to listen to their stories. I think it's very important to listen to everyone's story so that you can get an understanding of some of the things that they've experienced, because then you'll know why they behave the way that they do. Right, because I was about me, to say they, those things are all—all all those conditions are symptoms of a bigger problem. Exactly, but the thing is, is that but that bigger problem is one that we have been kind, we've been placed in, and we've never had any real control over. Um, it's just been an illusion that we had a say. It's been an illusion that our vote matters. It's been an illusion of a lot of things. And I think that what we're finding is, is that with young people, they're saying, we see through the illusion. You know, we see through the bullshit. And, it, and the funny thing is, is that we as, I can hear what they're saying because I understand their frustration because when I was young, I saw the same thing. And it was, it upset me when you had the ability to make a change, but you didn't make a change because you were comfortable. And I think that a lot of people in positions, especially people of color, get in positions where they can make a change, but they get comfortable and they don't, they then say, you know what? Mm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know? So when you have the Jay-Z's who said, I want to struggle to get out of the hood. I wanna, I'm doing this music so I can get better for me and give back and, do, and you know, once they get to a place where they're comfortable, that narrative, that narrative changes. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, and it's, a, and, it's that, the idea, you know, and, and what is the contradiction to me? So now you remove yourself from that culture that got you to where you are. And now you're telling young people, don't do that. But you're not, you're not putting out a blueprint or you're not giving them options to how to get it successfully because you don't know how to do it other and I'm than a, how you did it. And I'm gonna say something because I don't, I think it's, I think artists are sometimes put in a position where they are saying, you know, especially um, music artists, rappers, and you know, they're, uh, why haven't you given back? But there are just as many individuals that are architects, that are in a divine nine, that are, um, uh, um, uh, you know, and in these um, fraternal organizations that can impact change, that have just as much pull and just as much reach. But the reality is, is that they're comfortable. 
you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the reality is, is that so I don't I don't want to be unfair and say it's just these group of this individuals that no, it's across the board. Well, I, I and, picked people who had a bigger voice, but it it, but it the assumption is is that, that on a local because level we see well. them. The assumption is, is because we see them, they have a bigger voice. It doesn't necessarily mean the case because there are a lot of people whose voice carries much weight, but we don't see them. But behind the scenes, their voices mm -hmm. is the voice that's being heard, you know? And I think it's those individuals that um, we kind of have to hold to the fire. And mm -hmm. that's what my biggest concern is, is, is that um, a lot of the stuff that we, we know or we think we know, we don't know. And that's the biggest issue is how do you, um, how do you gain knowledge without experiencing? It just is, is and I, I see it on all different perspectives, but as somebody who uh, chooses to still be in the school system and to be around children in the capacity that I am, it's just is upsetting to me that I still have people who continue to throw monkey wrenches into the the mix by Go not showing up, by by the ones that do show up going against the grain or not going against the grain, but but creating more chaos or but making you know it worse. And I think what happens is is that. Um, People who really are positive influences and who really want to do something, they get so frustrated and they burn out easily. So they're like they come in and they they don't have the stamina to endure all of the resistance because you're gonna it's you know you're you are the minority. Well, and, and for those people, I, I say leave, leave because what you're doing is but, you're you're planting seeds of doubt and mistrust and 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 turmoil in the minds of not only young people, but people who are eager to get out there and do stuff. Well, what you I'm know what, that's just how it is. That's the school system. You gotta get used to it, da 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 da, da. And, and what, or they're, they're speaking to children in a in a very toxic way. And I, I if just- If there's more of them than it is, of, if, there's, if it's a system that is designed to be comforting to them, and you right. are outnumbered, you're going to burn out faster than that because they can feed off of that energy. You and that's can't been my experience. That's definitely been my experience because but I it's will a frustrating space to be in to see where the problems are. And you see children often feeding off of those types of individuals um, in ways that is very cr contradictory in many cases. But that's, what, that's why you have to kind of you have to kind of infiltrate the base. So the reality is, is that sometimes you have to work your way into a position where you can affect change the way that you need to, where your mm -hmm. voice carries that weight. Sometimes what happens is if you're screaming from the top to up, they're not going to listen because you got so far up that you got to yell. But when you get to the position where you're at the top with them, then it's an equal playing field. You can say what you need to say say directly to them. There's many people who could definitely make a change in those spaces that are choosing not to because those people who are there were once where they were. And or, they just see how it changes people. Or for me, and I'm just speaking of me, um, you, you're going to be too real for them. 
You know what I mean? So my thing is they're individuals that get in positions and stuff. And because they are the person that they are and the way that they're going to deliver, it's not going to be received. And you're just going to be seen as an antagonistic individual. Mm -hmm. And so it's learning how to play the game. And if you're not the type of person who wants to play any games, you bow out and you say, you know what? I don't even want to play that. I don't even want to be in a mix of that. So and I think that's what a lot of people have chosen to do, which is very yeah. unfortunate. But yeah. that formula has seen, I've seen that formula play out because now a lot of people are just choosing, you know what? I'm tired of bucking the system and the people in power see what I'm doing, see what I what needs to be done and are choosing to do status quo. And yeah. then I think specifically speaking in this matter, it is harming our young people. Something so that seemingly so insignificant as learning how to tie a tie matters so much, but we focus on what brand the tie is, who made the tie, how I can sell more ties versus just simply teaching somebody how to tie a tie. Like in the impact that can then have over, because you may have more young people that are, are, are more, suit and tie individual. I know I'm not a suit and tie person. I used to be, but it, it just, I didn't see the impact of it. One, and I didn't also, see a lot of people that looked like me in Or I, I think, saw the people who wore them not being their full self. And I also, why is this a, why is this a status symbol? You know, why is it so significant? And I think that that, and it's not to say that, again, like I said, I had it's the that. Moment. Had, it's the moment. It's the experience. It, it has nothing it to do may, with the tie. It may be, but what some of the, the significant moment may not be tie to tie. It may be just the fact that my father decided to come up to school right. just to see how I was doing. You know and what I mean? That's what that's so it. I think it. Yeah, so I think that, um, I think the young people may not hold it in, is uh, in is in such a high regard as we did when we were growing up, because a lot of the things that we held in high regard isn't as isn't as substantial as it was when we were when I was growing up. I your generation is completely different from mine. So again, well, I get it. I mean, and yes, and the funny thing about it is, when people say that, I always sit back and I say thank you because I don't see that as a a a um, a, um, a you know, a slur or anything, I see it actually as a compliment because the reality is, is that my generation wasn't supposed to live as long as I did. So when someone say you old, I'm like, yes, thank goodness, because I saw most of my people die, you yeah. know, and they were doing, and so for me, when someone says you old, I'm like, thank, and I can't wait to get to 90 because I'm gonna still be the same damn um, Baltimore's favorite gay aunt. <laughs> and I'm gonna still be, uh, um, have raw human and I'm gonna still cuss and I'm gonna still be frisky and I'm gonna still like my men with with some stamina and virility to do. You can't go one day. And on that note, this has been the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Please follow us on social media, the Artist Exchange on Facebook and Instagram. Really, that's it. I'm starting to pick up those. Yeah, I'm, I'm not swinging my penis or None of those dances. I'm just putting Please out don't. the content. Please, you would you would only wish. No, I would not wish. You would. I do not. I like my I've vision. A, I've had a couple of invitations. You oh, don't kind of want it. Our Joe likes it. Our Joe nah. likes it. You who who likes it? 
Oh, well, Joe likes it. Yeah, I don't know that person. Oh, well. <laughs> I have no clue who that individual well, is. Well, because you don't know that person. That's why. But I this wondering. has been a wonderful experience on a cocktail social. First with of all, my don't let this man keep going. <laughs> don't let him keep going. If the cocktail social is coming back soon. This has been a wonderful yeah. experience. Eventually. <laughs> But thank you to everybody that's viewing, that's listening. Please share, please subscribe to Big Exposed Radio. If you're looking for a show, this is your home. E email us at info at bigexposedradio.com. Don't forget, Baltimore Fashion Week, August the 15th. Come see me. And, and me. I'll be there. That's what he's saying. Peace I out, am. people. <laughs> Thank you.